I am so, so grateful for having had the opportunity to have a conversation with Phyllis Weiss-Hazaro. She was an amazing introduction from someone in my network. I am so grateful for those strong relationships I have built through the beauty of podcasting. And so one of the things she talks about in this little clip that we're going to share with you shortly is some of her work that she did many, many years ago. She's been a prolific writer, speaker, a trailblazer, as you will come to know her. And she had talked over 10 years ago about all people want from the workplace is to be valued, to be respected, and to simply do meaningful work. And as she reviews that article and discusses it again on our podcast, the same still stands true. And I'm talking to you now. If you are a CEO of an organization and you don't see that pervading through the organization or some of your leaders not demonstrating how they value, respect their people and assuring that everybody has meaningful work, you might want to take inventory of the people around you. And the aspiring C-suite leader, oh, I so care about you. Look around your organization. Are you being valued? respected, and doing meaningful work. You are so, so lucky. And think about ways that you can leverage that environment to be able to serve as well as grow. But if you are not in such an environment, you have control. The first thing, you can start changing and demonstrating that behavior. Tell people how you value them. Tell them what you respect about the work they do. And seek and ask the question if you or others are doing meaningful work and how can you enhance that? Because you need to take personal accountability and be the leader you're aspiring to be, even if the environment isn't set up for that kind of success. And try it. You never know. You may be exactly what the organization needs now. But if you try these things, what Phyllis is advocating for in our episode, and you can't change the people or change the environment, you can be in control and change the environment in which you will succeed. So let's listen to this amazing conversation with Phyllis Weiss-Hazaro. Everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants to be treated well. Everybody wants a chance to speak up if they want to and be listened to. And also a lot of the things that people want at work are the same. And I had a list in that article in 2012 that are the exact same things that we're hearing now after living through the pandemic. I mean, we're still living through it, but why people are leaving or want to leave or unhappy at work. They want to have meaningful work. They want to be treated well. They want to be listened to. They want opportunities to rise up or laterally do something new, to grow. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, 
Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of the Drop-In CEO brand, and I simply want to thank you for joining us on another episode of the podcast where week after week, I get to speak to amazing and outstanding leaders so they can share their insights and inspiration for you. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate, review, tell others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And this episode is sponsored by Illumination partners, we help C-suite leaders take control of their careers and get promoted. And this week, I am honored to share the mic with my amazing guest, Phyllis Weiss-Hazaro. Phyllis, a cross-generational voice, is a facilitator, marketing business development strategist, speaker, podcaster, and best-selling author focused on the business of uniting people, purpose, potential, and profits across the generations at work. She brings multi-generational perspective, curiosity, extensive marketing, and conflict resolution experience to help organizations solve intergenerational challenges with clients, stakeholders, and for internal teams. I could go on and on about her background. She is an amazing human. I am sincerely grateful for David Shiner Khan introducing us. Phyllis, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation. I know it's going to be a lively one. Oh, and it (laughs) is going to be. You and I are on the same page. I mean, it's all about human connection. Why can't we all get along, understand our differences, and maybe the sameness that we have in all of us? So just a quick thing for my listeners. I am delighted to know her. I would also encourage you. She is a prolific writer, but also we're going to talk about You Can't Google It, one of her books she wrote in 2018. There is so much valuable information in there. I want you to write that down, get a copy of that. And we're going to dig deep into this, but I think there is something so important about understanding this diversity in the workforce. We slice and dice people in so many different ways, but I think there's often more sameness to who we are than differences, but understanding the differences across all humans is probably important for having a better workplace environment. So Phyllis, please just tell us a little bit more about yourself personally, but also your journey and how you arrived in this work. All right, the journey takes a while because it has taken a while. And I'd be happy to say that I live in New York in Manhattan. I'm actually a native, although I've lived in some other places, Athens, Georgia, when I had to be there, Honolulu and LA, and then came back to New York a long time ago. I love it. It's a great place to be. I'm so interested in the arts and all kinds of things that go on here. So I love the stimulation and so forth. I have one son. My husband passed away three years ago from Parkinson's and going into that big changes and long marriage. And So I actually started out, I have a master's in urban planning, and that was my first career. And I did that for about 10 years, or maybe it was less than that. It did well, but I thought that I was more business-oriented than a lot of the people and how the field was at that time. So I decided to use skills that I was using 
and got a chance to develop even in that because most of it was working for consulting firms and doing market research and speaking and conferences and and writing and all of that. So I decided I wanted to do marketing and business development. And I sort of came from an education where a lot of lawyers had decided not to go to law school, but I knew a lot of them. And so I started working with a lot of professional firms right before that with an organization, an outplacement firm that was career development. And I joined that for a year and a half because I wanted to get some sales training. And so I did that. I didn't have any of that. I mean, the marketing, whatever, I just picked it up. And it was in the early days of when any licensed professional, which planners were, are, could not do any advertising, public relations, anything that would help you get clients. I mean, it was illegal, unethical, and unprofessional. And there was this Supreme Court decision, I won't go into all of that. A lot of people in the fields do not know. But anyway, I wasn't right that far ago, but still early. And so I was always a trailblazer, even as a planner in ways. There you know, weren't all that many women. And I was not an architecture or an engineer. So I got an education, housing, that sort of stuff. Anyway, as I told you, it's a long story. So I was a trailblazer in marketing and business development for professional firms, especially law and, and accounting. Did that, And a lot of what I was doing then from the business development part, I'm still doing in the generational. But in 1997, I realized that the young people were not getting the attention they needed because the senior people were too busy. And so I started next generation programs in some of the firms that I was working in, which were very successful because well, what I wanted to do was get peers in age who were in different practices to get to know each other because if they had a contact that needed something that they couldn't do, they wanted to know that they'd have somebody that they could rely on that wouldn't be looking over their shoulder at their partner who was telling them, I want you to do my work, and they could market together. And I asked them also, how did they want to see their career in five years? What practice did they want to help really develop or a new one? And so we got some of them. I had them do business plans and go to management and ask for budgets, which they got them in management was aghast that these younger people, they were junior partners or younger than that, would do that and then come back and report to them what they actually accomplished and spread it around the firm. This was not, and it still doesn't happen a lot. This is why you and I are so aligned, because this is even now today such a gap. So just continue on with your story, because I am ready to jump in. Okay, (laughs) I've got to say one thing that I discovered yesterday. 
One of the first times I used the word gengagement, which I made up, you know, you spell it with a capital G-E-N, engagement, I used for an article in Law Practice Magazine. It was published in 2012. Okay, we're 10 years out. I came across it because I'm trying to get declutter. And I have so many magazine articles I have things in. And I decided to read it. And I will tell you that anyone who read that would think I wrote it yesterday. It's nice to know that I was so forward-thinking and sad that things haven't changed much. There it is. And I I was just flabbergasted. So... Thank you, Phyllis, for all of that. You are truly diverse, always forward-thinking, doing things that are beyond your years or people are thinking, but it's so powerful. You need somebody out there to say, hey, we need to be looking at this. And, and you know, when you talk about 1997 and seeing some of the junior associates just not getting that support that they need, I'm thinking to myself, I'm looking around, I was them. I was probably oh, 32 or something at that age. And I was looking for that guidance. I mean, we were given tasks, we were given responsibilities, but never were we say, here, we want to teach you how to do a strategy. Here, let's show you how to do a proper meeting agenda or whatever that is. You had to figure it out. And it's like, okay, yeah, I know we have to go to school for hard knocks, but I would have loved to have more career support or the opportunity to learn from taking that perspective and work more collaboratively. So kudos for you for gengagement. So I would love for you just to level set here, explain or describe what that means for our listeners, because we're going to spend more time there. All right. It really means creating and sustaining harmony, collaboration, communication, but the harmony of people working together. And generationally, that instead of pointing fingers and blaming and saying, this is your fault, you ruin the environment, you don't put your part in the right place. I mean, whatever it is, a lot of it is hype and nonsense. But people hear these things and then they believe these stereotypes. And the thing is, I think most people think that you define a generation by birth years. It's not exactly true. It is partly. But really what it is, is the formative influences that a common group of people, and they could be different age, formed politically, economically, socially, and culturally. And everything is not generational. People could have the exact same birthday but they were born in a different country or a different part of the country. They had come from a liberal or a progressive or or conservative family or a religious one, where they are in their life cycle. It could be that you have, this is more true of men, they could become fathers when they're much older than could have younger wives. That would change. And then the position that somebody occupies in a hierarchy, because you could be a peer with someone and you get promoted to be the manager, the supervisor, the you know, whatever, and you have your friend who doesn't, so you're going to look at things differently. So there's so many things, and yet 
knowing basically what typical, I'm not saying stereotype, but typical attributes are. And you see that in the front of the book. I have a whole lot about that. What were the influences and what were the implications? I so appreciate that because, again, people just need to get grounded in profile. Oh, okay, I understand where you came from. That was your exposure. That was your environment. But what I like what you say is that just because you are at a certain age, and yes, you have certain experiences or cultural background, it doesn't necessarily define you as a person and your performance, but it's good to understand where you came from in order to bring everybody to the table and know how to interface with each other differently. Especially if it's strangers. So how do you prepare yourself to start a conversation? And what do you expect? I love what you say. It is a way to start a conversation because so often we arrive at a new company, a new team, a new client, and we're paid to start getting results, just start doing versus taking the time and pausing and saying, hello, my name is such and such. Tell me more about yourself. What's your background? Taking the time to get to know the humans and forget about the age. That's all we want to know is what's your perspective? How do you feel about certain things? What are your thoughts going into this particular project? So important and simply the gen engagement is a vehicle to do that. But I have a burning question. We talk about the differences, but through your work, what is the thing that ties us all together that makes us more common than we think because we talk about diversity and how we're different and how we interface with us? But is there something that you say is uniform throughout the generations that we can hold on to to say this will make it easy for us to engage with each other? Is there something very common amongst the generations? It can be. Everybody wants to be respected. Everybody wants to be treated well. Everybody wants a chance to speak up if they want to and be listened to. And also, a lot of the things that people want at work are the same. And I had a list in that article in 2012 that are the exact same things that we're hearing now after living through the pandemic. I mean, they're still living through it, but why people are leaving or want to leave or unhappy at work. They want to have meaningful work. They want to be treated well. They want to be listened to. They want opportunities to either rise up or laterally do something new to grow. And I can name more, but it's those kinds of things. What do people want? And the respect is extremely important. And they want their differences to be respected and their personal identities. And of course, people are much more vocal now about their personal identities. There's so many things that are intersectional. We have just demographically so much more of a diverse population than we've ever had in this country. I think they're just pushing us a little bit. They are pushing us to achieve things more like respect and to be listened to, because if they're not getting those core values satisfied, they're moving on. And some of us of a higher generation might hold out a little bit longer. But what you said was really important. What I picked up is that 
despite the differences, everybody wants the same thing. And if you can establish ground rules at the beginning of a set of relationships, intergenerational, about do we believe in respect? Are we going to listen to each other? Are we all going to hopefully help each other to do valuable work? If we can all agree to that, we can work out the differences along the way. So I love the way in your article back then, this is what everybody wants, regardless of the generational differences. So you have so much content, but I just have a question. I'm a Gen X. (laughs) Talk to me about my generation because I believe I have navigated my career. I have done quite well in organizations. I've learned how to navigate cross-generationally, I believe, but I'm also starting a new business, trying to cultivate relationships. What are my opportunities or challenges as a Gen X trying to connect with people? I just want you to, I don't know, do a little on-the-air coaching for me. Well, I don't know if it's only about connecting, but Gen X came into the workplace in a very bad recession. Not as bad as the one in 2008, but a bad recession. And were called slackers. Now, Gen X, you would not think are slackers now, but they were called, and I think that the reason or one of the main reasons is that they were not able to get the jobs that they should be occupying so that they were sort of under-occupied and having to do things that were kind of below what they were capable of. So this was some people, not everyone. They also were the first generation where a lot of mothers went to work. And I hate the expression of latchkey kids. Everybody was not a latchkey kid, but had to be much more self-sufficient and certainly much more self-sufficient than the, the millennials. There were those kinds of things. And there was more divorce also. So that was another thing. And because of that, really wanted a lot more flexibility in their lives, were much more independent, really liked to be autonomous more than the boomers who were more team players as the millennials. There was, you know, a different way. Again, saying the formative influences are things that stick with a lot of people. So I'm going to talk about my mom. My mom listens to all my podcasts, but she knows I am the most stubborn, strong-willed, don't tell me what to do because I had to do a bit on my own. But I am grateful. I have to reflect that it wasn't easy for women of my mother's generation to work when maybe they needed to and may not have been always treated fairly or not had the opportunities. So I'm grateful for the trailblazers that were in the workforce because maybe it made a little bit easier for me, even though I still had to do the hard work as well. So I sincerely appreciate that. There are so many things that both the millennials and Gen Z are benefiting from. All that was fought by the boomers and the Gen Xers of the women's movement and getting all kinds of rights. I mean, if we had hours, we could talk about how in the earlier part of the boomers, in order to get a credit card, you had to have your husband's name on it. And your husband or your father had a sign for you to have a loan to rent an apartment and things like that. Now it changed during the boomers time. But 
we think of this as outrageous. And of course, these things are taken for granted. The younger generations don't realize that, yeah, they have a hard time for a number of things, and especially now, and the work pressures have gotten harder and harder. But the women particularly, and it was, you know, some true of the men too, but the women particularly have no flexibility. I mean, it was really hard. So that perspective, the study of history is important so we can appreciate one's perspective if they don't act or respond in a way that we expect them to. So very helpful. That's why perspective is one of the first chapters and you can't Google it. I find a lot of them really want to know the perspective of the older generations so that they can understand or do things right. Especially the millennials were so fearful of not being perfect and so interesting. And the millennials were known as Generation Y, and that's W-H-Y. They were Generation Y because, and still, except for the U.S., most of the world calls them Generation Y because it came after X. We here got to call them millennials. But they were asking a lot of questions. And then the older generations get upset that they're being asked these questions. But they taught their kids to ask questions. I think asking questions is a very good thing. How do you learn? And that's how I got in trouble over the years and people asked me to be quiet. But now I don't have to. I'm going to keep asking questions, especially of great guests like you. So again, another trailblazing concept. You talk about collaboragism. You coined that phrase, you trademarked it. I'd love to know more about that concept. I think it's pretty important and we need to listen to it. Well, I make up words. They just pop into my head. Engagement was the one that I used first the most. Then I had kaleidoscope, spelled C-O-L-L-I-D-E-S-C-O-P-E. In other words, crashing into each other and going from kaleidoscope to kaleidoscope as we know of kaleidoscope which is all meshing together and beautiful patterns and all working together so collaboration popped into my head one day and what the one meaning of it but not the original meaning was getting all the generations to collaborate together so that's a good thing uniting people, profits, productivity, all those P's, potential. But when I thought of it at first, and the way I am using it the most, is to get all the generations together to fight ageism. Ageism of younger people as well as older people and those in the middle As I like to say, even babies are getting older every day. If it's not hitting you now, it can later. Anyone is susceptible to this. And it's sort of evil ageism. And it doesn't make sense economically. There are so many things, just like having all advertisers ignoring Gen X. There may be a smaller generation, but they have more money than the millennials and the Gen Zs. Why? It makes no economic sense. 
And also, I don't even believe in chronological age, except for things like Social Security and Medicare and stuff. They need an age to work with. But you can throw out any number, and they really can't describe a whole generation or a whole cohort of people that's even one particular number, whatever it is. There is so much difference. People are different levels of fitness and health, their education, you just name whatever the characteristic is. You have people who are in their 80s dressing like a 20-year-old, and that's okay. If they don't look silly, and even if they look silly and they're happy looking silly, so what? What difference? I love what you say about this is we're just all humans trying to live at peace enjoy the fruits of our efforts, family, community, faith, whatever it might be. I talk about that because sometimes professionals as they're coming up in their career, and I talk about this a little bit in my book, The CEO's Compass, the interaction with humans. If we don't take the time to understand their unique gifts and strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, we need to take inventory of everybody that is in front of us, like colors on a palette, to know the cards that we're dealt with and appreciate people for their strengths. And there's nothing in there about whether they're a manager or just a specialist. It's what are their strengths? What are the opportunities? And how can I leverage the best from the people that I'm working with? So I sincerely appreciate your thought leadership around collaborageism. We're going to get that in the dictionary. So you, again, continue to create, and you have this principle about legacy makers at work. I would love to know more about that and your vision and the work around that, because I think that's very valuable for our listeners as well. Yeah, about four years ago, something like that, I started using that phrase, and the ad is an at sign, at AT, except for the website address, because you can't use signs. And I decided I wanted to do masterminds about that. The idea is that how do you want to be remembered for all this work that you put in, in your career? This is not a philanthropic thing, although that could be part of it. But my idea, because it's legacy makers at work, is about in your work, And this is a journey, actually. And you don't want to wait until 60s, 70s, 80s, until the end of your career, because you lose a lot of time. So intentionally to figure out how you would like to influence others, how can you make a difference And it will change over time, and you'll be doing it in different ways. But rather than, you know, everybody is going to be remembered in some way, and it might not even be anything you want to be remembered for. So you want to be in control of this as much as possible. So the idea is, how do you go about it? Coming up with your idea and have a plan and have support, why I want to do it in masterminds is to have that support and people sparking ideas. There's no reason why you have to figure out these things by yourself. And people who know that they want to make change, but feel, oh, I shouldn't speak up, or, you know, it's going to get me in trouble. And I think the Gen Xers have been 
a little deficient. Not everybody, of course. These are all generalizations. But more so than the boomers and the millennials, for instance, and Gen Z we see now, have put their heads down and worked hard. And they became hard workers, they're not slackers, and are accomplishing a lot. And in fact, there's more Gen X that was creating so much of the technology that we have, not the millennials. Gen Xers laugh. They say the millennials are good at pressing buttons, but they don't know what's under the hood. You know what I love about this is that on my website, I have a promotional video. I talk about my backstory and how I help organizations. And one of the last things that I say about my business is that we don't just provide a service, but we provide a lasting impact. Because when I go into organizations, I can certainly help them technically help with the business problem. But the greatest work that I love to do is also helping build the capability of the people, whether it's their confidence, how to communicate messages. And that's the impact that I want to make. And I believe the message you say is don't necessarily start sequentially in order. I need to go from A to B to C to D in order to get my career goals met. But starting with the end in mind, what kind of legacy do I want to leave? What kind of legacy do we want to leave in the minds, in the community, and the people that I care about and work backwards? And I think that's a beautiful thought. And you don't know how it's going to happen. But I think people should start in their 40s really thinking seriously about this. It's harder when you're just starting out in your career because you don't have much experience. You know, you have to gather some of that. But By the time you've had some experience, rather than waiting later, because as I said, you lose time and you can, you know, figure out what to do, who you need to help you, what ways you want to make it visible. And this is really even more important than having a personal brand. I mean, that's something too. I've never liked that phrase, although I believe in the concept, but I don't think that people are soup cans. But it's just a really important thing to have inside yourself as a guiding light. I really wish where were you when I was in my 40s? And so I'm aging myself a little bit, but I don't think that's even a fair statement coming from me. I am now in this awakening, knowing what I want to do, who I want to help, how I want to help them. But having that awakening sooner in your career can save you, like you say, a lot of time and you could have greater impact. I wasn't born knowing all these things. You know, I had to gather some experience and on my journey in different ways, it begins to come together. I never knew what my passion was at work before. I always liked what I did and liked the people that I worked with. I went on to different things. It was an evolution. I never have epiphanies. But because I see things out there. I see trends and patterns before a lot of people, or even sometimes people don't see them. And the downside of that is that there are a lot of shiny objects, and I have too many projects or things that I want to do, and they get done faster if you're concentrating on one or two. And again, the fear 
that's my, you know, what I want to do is get more focused. I keep reining myself in and it gets broader. And with the generational thing, I think is so funny that people will say, oh, you have such an interesting little niche. And I'll go, little? I feel like it's attached to everything. And I so hope that this conversation, there's going to be a whole bunch of listeners, if nothing else, to heighten their awareness about we're more similar than different, but understanding the differences is what's going to help us to leave our legacy. And we could go on. We're going to have a part two and a part three of this podcast, but we need to bring this episode in just a little bit, but I want to give you the opportunity. You say that there is an offer or challenge or thing that you want to invite people to, and I want to give you an opportunity to share that with the listeners. Okay. Thank you. Yes, I'd love to. I mean, I like giving. And I also welcome questions. So feel free to get in contact with me and I'm sure that will give you my information. The challenge I like to give is to find or pick three people that you work with. They don't have to be in the same organization, but it's about work. And reach out to them and start a conversation that will begin to build a relationship. Find out about things that you don't in the day's work, talk about. It's not about a task at hand and all that, but get to know them as people, as Deborah's been saying all along. It's definitely important. And it's really crucial for business development, for the way you're regarded, because people really want you to take interest in them. And don't talk about yourself all the time, because Hopefully, you know about yourself. The way you grow is to learn new things about new people. And the differences are how you grow to. I mean, to have conversations with people who are different, who think differently, even if their values vary from yours a lot. You don't learn anything from people who are just the same as you are, although it's enjoyable, and I think we should have friends that are. But anyway, pick three people, have those conversations, and then keep it going. And let me know how it goes. But I hope you're going to enjoy it and feel that you've really gotten something very valuable. And then find three more. So that's the challenge. Do that. And as far as the free offers, we're talking about something you mentioned before, Deb, about how you work with other people. I have a checklist or a template for asking when you start to work with somebody or having a discussion in a team to fill this thing out and say, this is how you can work best with me. Kind of some people will call them owner's manuals. I have my own questions, but you can use whichever one you want. I decided that owner's manual really isn't do it. So let's say a, a collaborative owner's manual exchange, but you fill this out and then you exchange it with somebody that you're going to be working with, let's say on a project. And so you have a good starting point of understanding each other and how 
what you do, what you say will resonate with them or not and what to avoid. The other thing is that I mentioned the collaborationism manifesto. I started writing this a couple of years ago. I don't have it yet up on my website, but if you contact me, I would be happy to send you the unpretty version. In other words, it's going to look better, but the words are there. And it talks about why this is needed, how it's beneficial to each generation, how to start a movement even, and what kind of things to do. Because I think that we will not ever get rid of ageism, and it doesn't matter if it's up, down, or sideways, unless all the generations say, this is ridiculous, let's get together and get rid of these stigmas and fight it. So Phyllis Weiss has a row, author of You Can't Google It and many other books, three other books, and so much information. People are going to want to get in touch with you. We are going to put all of your contact information in the show notes. Let me first say a wholehearted thank you. This is inspirational and not the last time we're going to have a conversation. You've been an amazing guest, Phyllis. Well, I'm up for another one. Thank you so much. Really, I've enjoyed it. You have wonderful questions and you're excited about it. And we do have similar values and views. So that's nice too. So thank you. It's been my pleasure. Really. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.